Welcome to Envision Community Church's Ridiculous Love Podcast. Whether you attend our Longmont-based services or tune in online, we're so glad that you're here as part of our funky and fully affirming church today. We begin each of our podcasts just as we begin each of our services with our ethos. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and believe here, we all can receive here. LGBTQ plus and straight here, there is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here, everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. If you'd like to financially contribute to our church and our partners, you can text any amount to 84321. And now, on to this week's sermon. So apparently, yesterday at CPAC, there was an idiot who said from the stage that transgenderism should be wiped from the face of the earth. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's really, really close to supporting genocide, more than likely, probably, not the only person to say that in the recent past, which, you know, gives me pause. That same person said there is, in fact, no clinical evidence showing that gender dysphoria is, in fact, a medical physiological condition. So apparently, this particular gentleman cannot read, because the truth of the matter is we know a lot about causation of gender dysphoria. There's a lot we don't know, be clear about that. But we actually probably know more about the causation of gender dysphoria than we do even of our sexual identity. And one of my favorite studies was one done a number of years ago of 300 transgender people right before they began on hormones. Now, the reason that's important is because once you've been on hormones, the actual brain structure of the body changes. And this was a study of the brains of transgender people. And it was with an fMRI. Now, some of you who are medically inclined know that fMRI is still an infant technology, so not always so sure about it. But it was kind of interesting because what they discovered is exactly what I would have expected them to discover. 300 people, about half male, half female. And they said that our brains are about halfway between male and female before hormonal treatment. And I thought, yeah, that pretty much works for me. I mean, I say here all the time that I come from the liminal space between genders. I come from the borderlands between genders. But there were some interesting discoveries in this. And one was that transgender women, and that would be me, pre-hormonal treatment, process smells in the part of the brain in which women, cis women, process smells, and in fact have always processed smells in the ways in which cis women process smells. That was fascinating to me to know that throughout my entire life, apparently the way in which I process smells was exactly the same as a cisgender woman. Now they also discovered on the other side of the equation that the way in which I process spatial stuff is almost 100% the way in which the majority of cisgender males process spatial stuff. So that means when I'm on my mountain bike and I'm trying to intuitively feel if those pedals are going to fit between those two rocks on the narrow single track, I'm doing that from a male part of my brain. But now back to the other side, apparently most transgender women also have always processed sounds in the way cisgender women do. And the way they test this one is to ring a bell.
bell and then have the person identify the direction from which the bell is coming. And I've never been able to do that. And I discovered that the vast majority of Sith men are in fact able to do that, which is fascinating. I can't do that. And apparently most Sith women can't do that. So all of that's pretty fascinating to me that we see that we're, you know, kind of halfway between. And I mean, there's a whole lot of things about being a female I will never understand. I will never see the world in 28-day cycles. I see it linear. It's always going to be that way. But the thing that makes life the easiest and most blessed for me in regards to my gender is that the world receives me as a woman. And that, to me, is extremely important. It also has become the major way in which I earn my living, because I did a TED Talk, and who knew that that particular TED Talk would end up with seven million views and that I would end up speaking all over the world on the fact that life is a lot easier for men than it is for women. That men do work hard, they work very hard, but what they don't realize, particularly if they're successful, well-educated white men, is that they started way closer to the finish line than cisgender women did. And so I've heard from women on all seven continents thanking me for validating their experience. And of course, there's an engineer or a scientist out there who will say, really, all seven? Yes, I heard from a woman in Antarctica. Okay, just so you know. Which is all kind of fascinating to me, the differences between male and female. Now, a lot of folks will tell you that gender is a social construct that's popular in the world of sociology today, not quite so popular in the world of psychology, and I tend to lean on the psychological side. I think we do have, most of us, a predisposition to, to gendered behavior before experience. We have a predisposition before experience to certain types of behavior that do tend to be gender-typical for the majority of people. Not for all people, there's a huge spectrum there, but for the majority of people. So why would I mention all of that? Because as we continue our discussion of the Gospel of John, today I want us to look at the difference in how women and men responded to the resurrection of Jesus because it was significantly different. We're going to look first at the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. You say, wait a minute, we're in a study of John. You're not allowed to use other Gospels. Well, tough. I'm going to do that anyway. John, for whatever reason, leaves out this part. So we got to go back and pick up this part because that's pretty important. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two angels in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the angels said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you? While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Now the main reason that the women immediately went to the 11 apostles to tell them about the resurrection of Jesus was because they were duly and appropriately subservient to the men in their lives. 
because they really believed it was important for the men to make all the important decisions. So they, in fact, were not smart enough to actually know whether or not the tomb had been empty. So, so I mean, you're just, you just already know so surely that I don't believe that, that we're not even just going to get a rise at all out of that one. I mean, it was purely a patriarchal culture. And they want to go looking for the body of Jesus, and they can't because they do not have the ability to do that in a patriarchal culture. Think of Afghanistan right now under the Taliban. That's the kind of world they're in. So they got no choice but to go back to the men. And so they go back to the men, and it's interesting in what takes them to the tomb in the first place. Notice they all go together. They all go working collaboratively. I was watching a 60-minute segment this week about the prime minister in Finland, and she was talking about how they work so successfully through everything with COVID and how they work together to ask for admission into NATO. And when asked how she did it, she said, it is not the force of character. It is because I'm willing to work collaboratively. Because women are more inclined, on the whole, and again, you can challenge that, but on the whole, women are more inclined to work collaboratively. So there's no real question about them going to the tomb together. And note, they have no idea how they're going to move the stone from the tomb. No idea whatsoever how they're going to do that. They're also not particularly worried about it because they're women working collaboratively. And for millennia, women working collaboratively have figured out, we'll figure it out when we get there. We'll work it out because it's what we do, it's what we're wired to do, and that's what they do, and so they get there, and somebody's moved it out of the way for them. Okay, sounds good to us. No real questions about that. They go in, Jesus isn't there, and now they freak out because they expect his body to be there. Note, they expect his body to be there. They didn't follow Jesus because he was going to be raised again from the dead. They did not follow Jesus because he was going to take them to heaven. They followed Jesus because they loved the man. And they just wanted to go and touch his body and provide spices for his body. They wanted to treat the man they loved so much with respect, even in death. It's what they did. It's often what women do. Throughout history of our species, on the whole, again, on the whole, women have been the gatherers and men have been the hunters. So I was reading a book about this a couple of years ago, a fascinating book about the fact that it's true in virtually every culture historically in the ancient world, that it's the men who've been the hunters, it's the women who've been the gatherers. But interestingly, when the men went out to hunt, there was always a ceremony before their departure, a very solemn ceremony where they all prepared to hunt. And when they came back from the hunt successful, there was a huge, huge party of celebration. Now, why did they do that when the men went out and came back? Because of the weak ego structure of the men? Not at all. They had a huge party when they returned successful because the men who went out hunting were only successful 3% of the time. What kept the people alive was the women working collaboratively. And in most all the cultures, it was the grandmothers taking care of the children while the mothers were out gardening. 
and that is what allowed the species to thrive. So there's no real wonder here in how they go to take care of the body of Jesus. Women have been doing that for millennia. But in this patriarchal culture, they have no choice but to go to the men. And what do the men do? Let's take a look at that. Now we're back to John, 20th chapter. So she, meaning Mary Magdalene, who was clearly the leader of the women and probably the leader of all the disciples, came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the disciple Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Interestingly, John never refers to himself by name. He only calls himself a disciple who Jesus loved. So Peter and the other disciple who Jesus loved started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, John is my favorite gospel. I love John's intellectual approach to things. I love the kind of education he had. But I do find it interesting here that the one thing he wanted us to know more than anything else was that he could run faster than Peter. <laughs> And he doesn't say it just once. On this critical moment, discovering the empty tomb, he says it twice, illustratively, both times. You know, he doesn't want to be too obvious about it. You know, one of the ways in which we as therapists know if someone is actually a transgender woman, and by the way, just so you have your nomenclature correct, that's me, I'm a transgender woman. You know that a person is a transgender woman if once they are on antiandrogens, they breathe a huge sigh of relief because their brain has never been comfortable with testosterone. You know, I watched my son and I watched how excited he was when his testosterone arrived and still how he uses his testosterone to change the world. It's wonderful. That's not how I experienced testosterone. So the second it was gone, my brain was very, very happy. A very solid signal, you're dealing with someone who's transgender. So note, the men did not go collaboratively to the tomb. The two leaders went to the tomb. Because men, more naturally, tend to function hierarchically. And Peter and John were clearly the true leaders. Now, there was a time not so long ago, three, four years ago even, when I thought that hierarchical systems, vertically-based power systems, were not appropriate. I actually think that they're pretty essential to the functioning of a culture. I just think they need to be done with great wisdom, with great kindness, with great gentleness. But I don't think flat leadership structures work all that well. So I've got no problem that it's Peter, and John, who run first to the open tomb. And then after they've encountered Mary there, they go back with the other men because now the men are going to work together to put together a plan to proceed forward. Note what they did. The men gathered together, recognizing they needed to gather together, but they gathered together to put their left brains to work, their intellectual selves to work, to create a plan to move the message of Jesus forward. 
That's because it's easier for the majority of men to think than it is to feel. It's one of the things I run into all the time as a therapist. I will say to my male clients, wow, how did you feel about that? And they proceed to tell me what they thought about that. And I'll let them go on for a while. And then I'll say to them, that's actually not what I asked you. I didn't ask you what you think. I ask you how you feel. And far too often, they don't know how they feel. So there's another thing Kathy and I have both discovered in the marital work we do together. And this I've known to be true for, for decades, actually. And that is if you're dealing with a straight couple, that often the man in the household, the man in the, the, of the couple, never has learned how to identify his emotions. And so his wife carries his emotions for him and feels the emotions for him. It often plays out this way. Something happens at work. The man is uncomfortable with what happened. He's thinking a lot about what happened. He goes home. He doesn't really know how he feels. And he tells his wife what happened. And she explodes in crying rage, saying, how could they do that to you? They've done that to you. Maybe this is awful. This is terrible. And now the guy is able to think to himself, oh, OK, I should be angry. Oh, and how marvelous. You're feeling all that for me. So I don't have to feel it. So I'm going to go in and watch the game right now. And the wife ends up carrying all the emotional weight that the husband is not carrying for himself. I cannot tell you how many times we've had to say to couples in counseling, to the wife, don't carry his emotions for him any longer. He's got to learn to experience his own emotions. He has to learn to feel his own feelings. It does not help for you to hold those for him. Now, I was already telling you that I come from the liminal space between genders. I come from the borderlands of gender. And I have to admit, this is an area in which I am still very much male. Through 40 years of marriage, I had to look to Kathy's emotional responses to know how I felt about something. And on at least four occasions in the last nine years since I've been Paula, I've had good female friends have to say to me, I will not feel your feelings for you anymore. You're going to have to feel them for yourself. And it's still very hard for me to do. The male disciples couldn't quite figure out how to do that. The women had no problem. And look at the difference in what happens next. The guys are going back. They're going to get to work. They have things they need to do. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. It's the women who mourn. When you lose someone you love, all of us grieve. Grieve is something we have no control over. It comes to us externally. Everyone grieves when you lose someone you love, but we don't necessarily mourn. Mourn is the public expression of grief that is occurring in the heart. Men have a harder time mourning. And when they do mourn, they tend to mourn in private. Women tend to mourn in the company of others. And if you take a look at any battlefield, you will see the women coming together to mourn, to share their grief and, exp and express their grief together. And so Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. 
Timothy asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, which tells you something about how Jesus looked, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. He spoke her name. It is holy when you speak someone's name. And as soon as he's spoken it, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And note right there, you can see one of the reasons she's one of the real leaders of the disciples is because he's sending her to tell them the really bad news that though he's resurrected, he's leaving again and trusts her to carry that message. But he speaks her name. I didn't know how emotional I would be with this. That's because of what comes next. So it was exactly a year ago. And my son Jonathan was struggling, pretty much struggling as he'd never struggled before for the first time in his life, not having things work out quite like he thought they were going to work out. And you know, that's something that pretty much every guy has to go through. You know, I think to myself, how did Peter get the strength to run to the open tomb, I don't know, a handful of days after he has totally, completely blown it and denied Jesus three times? Yeah, the reason for that is because men get a free pass. One of the things I've discovered in the last nine years is women do not get a free pass, and it's often other women who do not give women a free pass. And so a number of times over the last nine years, I have been confronted with shadow sides of myself that I did not know existed. And initially, I would think to myself, wow, there must be something different in just relating to other people as a woman. There must be some, because I never really dealt with this before. And then the more time that's gone by, I've realized, oh, shucks. I always had this shadow side. But as a man, I got a free pass. As a man, I was a powerful white guy. And so I got a free pass. As a woman, I don't get a free pass. It's a good thing. So Jonathan had come to a time in which he had not gotten a free pass. He was full of anxiety. He was here. It was a year ago uh, last week. And he was as full of anxiety as he was when he would when he was a little boy and would fly with me. He was always so frightened of flying. And I pulled him aside and I said, um, Johnny, it's okay. It's okay, Johnny. He melted in my arms. 
I'm the only one allowed to call him Johnny, and I don't call him Johnny all that often. He told me when we were together the next summer, last summer, he said, you have no idea how much it meant to me that day when you said, Johnny, it'll be okay. So a lot of you know me well enough to know that sometimes when I first get news that's kind of tough news to take, I lose it a little bit and I become really panicky and full of anxiety. And so it's three years ago, next month, one of my close friends saw me in that situation and she literally took me by the shoulders, gently shook me and said, Paula, Paula, you're okay. And immediately, I knew I was. So fast forward two years to actually about a year ago right now. And another friend came to me with a very di different accent. And again, I was having a very difficult time and very full of anxiety. And the friend actually just touched my arm firmly and said, Paula, Paula, you're okay. Yeah, it was a Kiwi accent. A lot of you know who that was. Which then reminded me of my friend Florence. And we lost our spiritual mentor at the same time. Florence is a lifelong Long Islander. And we sat together before my transition. And we just sat silently until she finally said, Paul, Paul, what are we going to do? Now, Eve knows exactly what... Paul is. That's how you say Paul on Long Island. Three times my name spoken. Three times immediately I settle down. It is holy to hear our name spoken. It is healing to hear our name spoken. It's important. Jesus only spoke names twice post-resurrection. He said, Mary. And then when he was with Peter, and forgiving Peter, making sure Peter knew he had been forgiven, three times he said, Peter, Peter, Peter. So it was after I transitioned that I memorized this poem. But I always think about it in relation to my transition. It's a David White poem. The soul lives contented by listening. Your soul, which sits beneath your ego, lives contented by listening. If it wants to change into the beauty of terrifying shapes, if your soul wants to change into the beauty of terrifying shapes, it tries to speak. It tries to speak. The soul lives contented by listening. If it wants to change into the beauty of terrifying shapes, it tries to speak. This is why you will not sing. This is why you will not sing, frightened as you are, of who might join with you. Your voice hesitant. Your soul's hand reaching in the dark for yours. She touches your face and says your name in the same instant. It's the name you refused to say over and over, the name you refused to say. One more time. 
The soul lives contented by listening. If it wants to change into the beauty of terrifying shapes, it tries to speak. That's why you will not sing. Frightened as you are of who might or might not join with you, your voice hesitant. The soul reaches out tentatively, touches your hand and says your name in the same instant. It's the name you refuse to say over and over. The name you refused to say. You know, I suppose God, probably more often than any other name I refuse to say regarding myself, it would be beloved. I see all my shadow sides. I see all my failures. And yet you call me by name. You say, Paula, beloved, I'm here. Paula, beloved, I am here. Amen. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. To learn more, go to envisioncommunitychurch.org or facebook.com forward slash envisioncommunitychurch. Thank you for joining us.